The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the Northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191213 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk. Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Green and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV, which is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo on Gossip High Street. And today, me and Sam are joined by one of the stalwarts of Northeast Comedy. He's been going nearly 30 years on the circuit, Sam Mulliner, is Gav Webster. And he's, like I say, he's been touring for God knows how long, and he has got a show in November. So plug away, my man. Eleventh uh, of November at the uh, the uh, Tyne Theatre, which is uh, Johnny hit me with some postcodes. It's on Westgate Road in Newcastle, so it's a stone's throw away from St James's Park. Not yes, we pass it well. on the way. We we pass it on the way to HQ, don't we? Um, so yeah, it, it's there. Eleventh of November, Friday night. Friday night in Newcastle. Start your night with some comedy. What what better way? If you were to type in archetype classic brilliant comedian then gav webster's your man um yeah really really promises to be a great set he's fresh off the back of uh, edinburgh festival and now he's getting stuck into a new show as well so 11th of november make sure you're there yes we'll be there me and sam will be uh there on the 11th of november i say we will be there to be confirmed whether mr mulner will be there he's just waiting for a yeah that's um that's a conversation we're going to have to have with Mrs. Mulliner, but we shall see. It'll be an interesting conversation that which won't be unfortunately on the podcast, but I'm Correct sure we'd all, like to, we'd all like to listen to it. But what a weekend and prospect that could be, Sam, because it's the last game before the World Cup starts for Newcastle United, and that is a home game against Chelsea. So I think it'll be one that the television companies will pick up, but it's a great yeah. way to start the weekend. I mean, let, let's hope it doesn't get moved to Friday night football because uh, oh, that, uh, that 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 would be an absolute disaster, wouldn't it, for everyone? But um, yeah, it just seems like a, a great weekend in store, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to think of it as the last game before the the World Cup because I obviously prefer club football way more than international football, and World Cups are for summertime, but. You know, there's still plenty of football to be played uh, for Newcastle before then. But yeah, it seems like a, a perfect weekend to me. Yes, certainly does. And Gab knows his stuff from his first game mm. in 1979 against Bristol Rovers, where Peter Whiff was on the score sheet that day. He's been following Newcastle ever since. And you know, he talks about the 80s and who his favourites were, which you have to listen to in the podcast, current day Newcastle United stuff as well. Um, and we also talk about this, the St James's Park expansion debate as well. So it's really interesting to hear Gav's views on that as well. But I think the stuff, there was a couple of studies a bit surprised that I managed to uh, to get in, including the fact that uh, it was his grandfather that was at the 1932 FA Cup final, which was a, a very, very particular FA Cup final, which Gav goes into detail about, which is something that I didn't know. So... And it's, some, it's it's definitely a couple of stories to to listen to, to listen intently about. So, yeah, it reminded me of uh, my oldest piece of football memorabilia, actually, which is a ticket. Uh, my granddad is no longer with us, sadly. Um, he he didn't even like football, to be honest. But he went 
to Germany versus England when he was based over there in in Germany in 1958, I think it was. And I have the match ticket from that game. But, um, I mean, Gavin's is much more interesting than that. So don't let that put you off. But it, it just it just reminded me of uh, some old, uh, an old football memorabilia story. So there you go. Yeah, I was just going to say, get in the reviews. If you've got any old football stories or old football memorabilia that you want to talk about, put it in our comments and reviews and we'll read them out in the next episode or we'll read them out on Newcastle Fans TV. With a five-star review, don't like, don't put like two stars, FA Cup Final 74. That, that's, you know, five-star, please. Yeah, very much so. But I think it's about time we get this podcast up and running. So this is the Greenwood and Molina Show and it is with Gavin Webster. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today me and Sam are joined by one of the stalwarts of the North East Comedy Circuit. He is a man who has won the award of Best UK Live Stand-Up in 2014 as well. And he's a massive Newcastle United fan. I've got some fantastic information in regards to his family on FA Cup Finals as well, Sam. So this is one truly not to be missed. It is a big welcome to Gavin Webster. Gav, welcome to the show. Thank you for asking. Cheers, lads. That's not a problem, not a problem. Sam, comedy, yes. we've had, we've had likes of Ant Young, Raul Coley recently as well. Um, you know, we've had Lauren Patterson, I remember, a couple of, maybe just 18 months ago. So to get someone of Gav's calibre as well, He's got a lot to live up to in terms of the North so, comedy, hasn't he? <laughs> well, so so soon after Edinburgh as well. You just finished your your run there, Gavin. I'm, I mean, it, it, it's. I heard from a comedian, John Robbins, the other week that Edinburgh's the festival's maybe taken a bit of a turn for the worst in terms of making money, which is why you're there at the end of the day. So, how how was your Edinburgh? Um. Well, mine was fantastic, actually. As it happens, I, I don't know. Oh, good. A lot of comics have struggled, but I, I think it was my best year, as it happens. I just feel like I'm booking a trend here. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling in the dough, then. Oh, great. That's that, that, that's good. Because, yeah, I, I think like when we had Raul Coley on, he was saying he was on about Ian Sterling, wasn't he, Johnny? And um, he was, like, yeah. selling out every night, every night and still lost two grand. But you're, you're rolling in the dough. Um, I think some of these people who sell out every night and uh, lose money, well, more fool them because you know that's that's a bad business model, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, why would you do that? I think a lot of these people have PR people behind them, and uh, you know, publicists and uh, legas and people working for them, uh, the agents and promoters, and they all get their share first. I think it's happened in pop music for what 70 years isn't it um you shouldn't really have anybody like that working for you it's a bit of politics to start the show yeah you shouldn't uh should just look after yourself and then you'll make some money i think yeah i think that's certainly the way to go i'm sure everyone will be listening and uh taking all that advice on board but um, I have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> where did the love of comedy start for you gav was there a particular role model that you just loved watching or listening to or was it just something that you watched once and thought i want to be a comedian um uh my dad was interested liked comedy um he late fall he's uh if he was alive now he'd be very old and he liked it and um 
just came from there, really. I, I mean, in back in media, um, <laughs> was, uh, you couldn't you couldn't just switch on, you know, like you couldn't you couldn't just look at YouTube and look at what a stand-up comedian was like, or or there wasn't even the benefit of DVDs really in that respect because the model of what a modern stand-up co comedian was wasn't wasn't actually there. Uh, so. I was interested in comedy. I like stuff like Monty Python and um, uh, stuff like that. And as far as stand-up goes, well, I mean, I look things like the Marx Brothers and that, but stand-up comedians, uh, I was a big fan of Alexi Sale. And, uh, and I suppose from the from from the old the olden days, um, uh, Les Dawson and Tommy Cooper and uh, Bobby Thompson and the like. But Alexi Sale was the modern comedian. Like he was sort of if you like the first alternative comedian in this in this country i'm actually, I actually know alexi now which is amazing but back in the day he he was obviously he was on the young ones and he was like the, the comedian that came on and did what looked like a sort of set piece but it was really bits from his set you know um and uh to show how long ago that was alexi told me that him and tony allen who was a, a an alternative comedian he coined the phrase alternative comedy Went up to Edinburgh in 1980 to do some stand-up. They did like a double header. One of them do half an hour and the other person do half an hour. And they had to explain to the venue what stand-up comedy was. It's a different world, you know? Crazy. Said, what is, it? is it a play or something? Is it a two-hander play? Is it, <laughs> oh, is it like, uh, what, do you get on and say something then this is something? Is it like a review? We got, no, it's stand-up comedy, but... Nowadays, it's second nature, isn't it? People, everybody seems to know what stand-up comedy is. It's part of the vernacular, isn't it? It absolutely is. I love it to bits. Can you remember your first gig, Gavin? And did that sort of put you off or did you thrive off it? Yeah, my first gig was in the Cumberland Arms in 1992. I was in a double act. Cumberland Arms in Newcastle, that is, in Vega, under Vega Bridge. And I was in a double act uh, called um, Scarborough and Thick. You know, Morgan and Wise, Scarborough and Thick. Wasn't my idea. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my idea. I was thick. I was the um, the straight, straight man, if you like. And uh, I had all these lines that Scarborough had given me permission to use that he'd written. So all my lines were like, um, really? Did you? What happened then, then? Really, well, what did you do after that? A mouse, why you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I didn't have any funny lanes as such, and it was awful. Um, and it didn't work. And anyway, we went my separate ways, and uh, I went solo and then uh, took it from there. Really, this is the best job in the world, Gav. Because I always I said, I think I said this to Anne, you, you're making people laugh, you're making people smile for a living. That's got to be one of the best, the biggest buzzers any job can provide. Ah, it's great. I do, I do enjoy it. It's a, it when it's good, it can be very good. You know, I do enjoy enjoy doing it. I mean, incorporating that into your love of Newcastle United. Well, I say your love of Newcastle United. Your Edinburgh show to go back onto that had a. A title that, that caught my eye. For those who don't know, it was Newcastle United Ruined My Life, which is just the best name for a show for us. Um, where did that come from and, and, and why? It was actually, it ruined my bloody life, but the, the stand didn't put the bloody in. But uh, oh. wouldn't even let us say bloody on talk sport as well. I says, come on. And they said, well, you know, we're just comedy careful. Um, anyway, that's what it was. Um, it was about... Um, 
it's about growing up in the 70s and um uh being brought up in a quite a sort of one horse fighty aggressive town and um having the only solace being an underachieving football club that um yeah i was obsessed with um i mean still am it's it's still affects you doesn't it still is an affliction because you have to no matter where you are in the whole wide world you still have to tune in and find out how newcastle are doing but back in the 70s it was everything and um uh god it's like memory in this sorry to be talking to you young people like this but like back in them days like there was no social media and there was nothing else to feast yourself on apart from the fact that there was this football season which had a long summer there was only three channels you could only get you know, you got your boat shooting things like that. Um, and new, there wasn't any really much coverage in Newcastle, especially in the late 70s after they got relegated. Um, and you you only had very little stuff to go on, but uh, you become obsessed with them, you know, you become absolutely obsessed with them. And, and, and back in them days as well, it was very, um, it wasn't socially acceptable to like football, you know, a lot of people. Posh people told you not to like it. So it was a pros game, and even a lot of like people that were like social climbers just said it was rubbish and it was full of hooligans watching it, and it was um, they'd rather go golfing or fishing or stuff like that. And it was um, it was it was uh, very much our tribe and their tribe then. Whereas I think nowadays you look at the difference now, like politicians like to tell you what football teams they support, even though they've got because it's um, very socially acceptable to like uh, football. Um, but anyway, the show was grown up in the 70s in a tough town, and it was like um having Newcastle United in your life, and how it how it ruined us a bit because um I was sort of quite bright and I, I could have gone on to do a lot of things, but I I was just absolutely obsessed with Newcastle United and not just the history and uh, the present day, but all the subculture with it, all the rude chanting and all the all the all the stuff like that, you know. Um and it was uh totally consumed as but i don't regret it for for a minute really football's been great it certainly is at the minute which we'll speak about uh towards the end of the of this podcast Gav. but am i right you think your first game that you saw newcastle united uh was against bristol Rovers in 1979 when newcastle yeah. were in the second division is that correct yeah how did you know that i must have put that up somewhere um, oh, very yeah. good, very good. <laughs> I, see, I saw reserve games even a couple of seasons before that. Went with my granddaughter to see reserve matches because they used to get played on the, the Saturday afternoon. So I suppose they, if you like, count. Um, uh, but the first first team game I saw was against Bristol Rovers in 1979, and I think there was only nine thousand there. And then the week after that, they played Brighton on the Saturday, which was a famous game because Brighton got promoted that day. The first to the top flight for the first time in their history. And there was 30-odd thousand at that one, but I didn't go to that game. And then the next Wednesday, they played against Wrexham and won 2-0. And that, I think that's the lowest ever crowd at St. James's Park for first team match. I think it was 7,000 there at that one. Um, and they were the first They were the first, first team games that I saw at St. James's Park. There's there's a thing now on social media with with within the fan base of like filming a child's reaction to St James's Park for their first ever time. I'm, I'm guessing yours in comparison was fairly underwhelming then. Yeah, yeah, you, that that sort of um, that Bobby Robson quote and all that. It's all a bit yeah. Um, 
another tear jerkery, isn't it? But yeah, you go when there's a, an end of season dead rubber. It's not quite the same. Uh, not got quite the same romanticism. And then watching reserve games was like a you know that's a rude awakening because the place is practically empty. You know, there's only one bit open, and you see this this stadium. It is quite impressive seeing the the colour, and especially back back in them days again when. You know, you just had black and white televisions, and you would see the colour on the pitch, the green and the colours of the strips, and the um, the stadium looked amazing. But it looked to anybody looking now, it looked like a trampy stadium, you know. But then it looked amazing that there were seats and all that in. Um, and uh, you know, I remember watching a, a reserve match between Newcastle and Man City, and uh, um, it was uh, it was incredible to see it. I remember, the, I remember just like things you do, you don't see when you watch it on the television, like the ball hitting the referee and everybody complained, thought ah, that can't be allowed. And um, I remember uh, Mick Mahoney, who was of course the keeper at the time, uh, was in his goal. And I remember old men saying, "Look at Mahoney, good getting the ball like an old man, as though he was, his team are three up, not one down." And you go, "Well, how fast has he got to go and get the ball for a goal kick? You know, he's, he's only going to get the." <laughs> It's the first time you hear people complaining, you know, people whinging and complaining, and um, people who like you'd think like you'd think people that were just knowledgeable about football shouted things out, but you get that you suddenly realize that people shout stuff out and I haven't got a clue what they're talking about, you know. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you've both experienced that before. Oh, yes, once, once or twice, once or twice, Gav, I'm sure we've experienced that over recent times in particular, but. Who was your first hero at Newcastle? Was it was it Malcolm McDonald? Was it Kevin Keegan? Who who are you who are you attracted to in terms of their footballing ability? Well, McDonald's a bit before my, my team. I knew who he was, but I was only a kid, so I never saw him play. My first hero was, um, uh, and it was when I wasn't able to go to the first team games. Was uh, was uh, Mickey Burns, who was the centre forward after McDonald. He was converted from a winger. He used to play up front with Gowling. Uh, Alan Gowling, but Mickey Burns was my first hero, and then and then when I went to the match after that, my first heroes was a sort of the two a twin strike force, which was Peter With and Alan Shoulder, who were the who were the twin strikers then, and that was uh, they were my first sort of heroes. Then after that, people like Waddle turned up, who, who wasn't a great player at first, and then obviously Keegan became a, signed in '82, and he became like a big. Idol of mine, really. So I, I, I think that just covers it. I've got loads of affection for for Kenny Wharton because he was playing in the reserve matches when I first used to go, and then I followed him, watched him play right through until he got like a knee injury in about '89 and stopped playing. And uh, he might be the player I might have seen the most play for Newcastle, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, how frustrating was it in in the eighties, like when you had such talent coming through like, like Waddle and he said he wasn't great to begin with and, and mm. guys like Gascoigne when they were coming through and then we never really saw the best of them in a Newcastle shirt because they used to just get shipped off down south yeah they did um there were no, none of them were ever in a great side you know mm. uh, Waddle um learning his game and then he got better as soon as Keegan came uh and then when he got good obviously he went to Tottenham and uh, Biadri came in and he was instantly good um, then obviously Gascoigne came through after that, but he was very young at first, and he, although he, he was very good when he first came, he was very young, and then and then he got moved on. But none of those teams they were in were were complete teams. They were half decent, had three or four good players, but they ne- they weren't ever like a great 
side in the top flight, you know, obviously, which was borne out because we used to sort of finish mid-table to sort of, you know, maybe halfway, maybe about, maybe between the middle and the bottom there for a few seasons. And then those players were sold. It was fairly clear that the board weren't going to spend money, which is all always been a Newcastle United problem. I mean, all people blame Ashley, but obviously it was there from when I was a kid right up until probably the mid-90s when the whole, early 90s, shall we say, when the the whole revolution came in. And um, and then obviously there was a bit of money spent after that with Freddie Shepard, but then Ashley after that and before that. So there's only been a few eras when we've spent some money, really. It's always been... It's always been about um, what's the word? It's not been like letting the pound go a long way. It's just been it's just been cutting stuff here and there, you know, um, just generic cuts to playing staff and stuff like that. Always been a problem at Newcastle. Yeah, hopefully that will change for the better because, of course, obviously with the takeover that we just had and we talked about money and money seems to be something that the owners of Newcastle United don't have a problem with in terms of having a lot of it. But I just want to go back into something that I read about your family in the sense of going to the 1932 FA Cup final, if I might. I, 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 I yep. hope you can confirm whether it was your mother or your grandfather that went to that game, or I, I don't know if it was both of them. I just, I, I couldn't get that, I couldn't get that bit confirmed. So I'm hoping you can do that for me. Yeah, I, I don't know where you're getting this from, but it was me uh, grandfather as in, my mother's stepfather who I knew well when right. I was a kid he, he went he went to the 1932 cup final which of course Newcastle won 2-1 uh, he was there with a couple of friends in that year so what memories did they have of that I was going to say Sam but what memories did they have of that did they have like a programme or anything like that no I don't think he does I, I, I don't think he did he, he, he told us a lot when I was a kid about supporting Newcastle and different players and uh and yeah, he took me to the, see the reserves in the seventies. So he told me about a lot of games, but he he just told us that he was at the. I think he went the semi final as well. I can't, I can't remember who they played in the semi final, um, but um, he was at that cup final. But he never told me much about it. And it's a famous final, isn't it? Because it's the it's called the over the line final, where the um, the ball got. Uh, we actually benefited from some good luck. Um, the ball got crossed to Jack Allen, who scored. But when the when he pulled the ball back, the the left winger, I think it was, um, the ball was actually out. The ball was past the lane, so it was called the over the lane final. Um, and Jack Allen scored the win. I think he got both of them, Jack Allen, as far as I'm, as far as I know. I mean, I know you're fully, fully insinuating about uh, the the three letters that make people skin crawl after the weekend. Oh, that's yeah. just been. Um, obviously, we'll come back onto the the historical side of uh, Newcastle United in a in a minute. But uh, how how are you feeling after the VAR display after Crystal Palace this weekend? Um. Well, you know, you, you there's that. Uh, dreaded uh, what's that phrase called the the um the the decisions balance themselves out at the end of the season that's what they always say don't they? Um, maybe that's the thing I don't know I thought we were more hard done by on uh, Monday night when Isaac's sort of toe was allegedly offside when he when he received the ball just inside the uh, Liverpool half but um it was kind of ridiculous that on Saturday I've looked at it again and again 
and uh, I can't see, I can't see how it could be anything else but perhaps a penalty, and if mm. not, that's a, I can't see anything else. I mean, maybe, maybe he, he, he pushes pushes for it for the momentum in the goalkeeper, but I don't think he could do that. He, he's clearly pushed, but. Who this year? I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd happily not have the points and for VAR to end, you know, in general, just so we can go back to what we were. Uh, I'd gladly, um, you know, sacrifice those those two extra points for that. But I don't think anything's going to happen. I think it's yet to stay, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it will stay. I think the, the argument is, Gav, it's not VAR. It's the people operating VAR who just don't know how to do the job. Do you feel that if they actually had the right people operating it, it the game would be less interrupted by VAR? Because I, I think I was watching the Brighton Brighton Leicester game on Sunday, and it took four and a half minutes to make a decision. People was that for the full and that wonderful goal? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, four and a half minutes. Well, but is it not? Is it not? Is it not referees that 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 are in the VAR offices or whatever you call them? It is referees, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's. It's. I, I don't like this phrase, but it's um, jobs for the boys, shall we say? In yeah. terms of referees that have done their time refereeing Premier League and still want that, uh, still want to stay in the uh, in that sort of environment. So I, I, I suppose it is jobs for the boys. But again, the the knowledge of it isn't very good, is it? Well, can it be? Can it um, because? It's not just one, is it? There's been about three this weekend, and there's always ones every weekend. Um, the, for me, like a, a referee might miss something, and that that's life. And people complained and complained about that, didn't it? How a referee might have missed something, and and in a way, it, we've sort of we've made a rod for our own backs, football supporters. I'm not talking about us three necessarily, or other people that you might know. But this whole the whole thing's become a TV show, become a soap opera about does his arm is there an intent there when he puts his arm in his face and all that stuff? And there was a time when it didn't really matter. You you were beaten by a better football inside or, or whatever, and it, it it they've shifted the onus onto this because it's become a bit of a, a circus, become a bit of a TV show. And I don't know is football better for having VAR? I don't think it is. No, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm torn because I do, I do think there is some positives for it, but like Johnny said, like it's it's the 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 people operating it that, that should know ba- better. Just don't. I mean, how? I it just I can't believe that outcome that we got against Crystal Palace was that. And 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 like you said, Isak's goal at Anfield is second one, which would have put us two nil ahead. I, I just, how how is that concrete offside? How it, it just it, it's it's baffling, and it just seems to be like so early on in the season, and we've we've had the rough end of the stick more than our fair share of times already. Yeah, that could be five points, goodness. That's a massive mm. difference at this stage, and you know you could say that it's the spirit of the game. I don't think any Liverpool player would have complained if that was pre-VAR. And he'd gone on to score because you'd only had the pedantic one saying, "Oh, look, he's he's the end of his tour might be offside when he received that ball." I think any fair-minded Liverpool supporter would just go, "Oh, come on, you know, he's he's got a win, he's got the goal. Stop complaining. He's out, he's out-paced us and out-muscled us, and he's scored." 
and that's the way the game goes, you know. I think if you were at Anfield last Wednesday, you, you'd probably appreciate there wasn't very many fair-minded Liverpool supporters in the ground that night. <laughs> that's, is that not what it's become, though, in the last... That's what... It's a rod for its own back. This is what... It's it's produced these kind of petty supporters because of that, you know. It, um, if you were watching a game, you know, I'm not going to go back to say years ago again, but if you're watching a game and it's not on the television and... As far as you're concerned, uh, the centre forward picks the ball up very deep and he runs through and scores, and that makes it 2 0. And then you look afterwards, uh, you know, on the highlights program, and then somebody says, Do you know, do you not think the part of his foot's offside there? You would rightly say, Oh, can we not just accept the fact they were the better team and they won? I mean, the, the width of a, a boot, do you know what I mean? It, you know, the, the, the end of your talk, it's just ridiculous, man. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly going to cause a lot of debate, and I'm sure, like all of us on Saturday, we were all cursing VAR and cursing the decision that the referee made. To I think it was one of his, I think it was his second ever Premier League game that has been mentioned. So that just tells you where well, it's, it's at. Not, but moving on know, to precision engineering. Sorry, yeah, it's not it's not precision engineering, is it? That's something I studied when I was young. Precision engineering is like you know you talk about a few thir, which is a few thousandths of an inch. And this is like when you've got like a, a you know, you're, you're putting a micrometer or something and you're measuring it and you've got the exact measurement and, and some of this is digital. That's an exact measurement. But when it's when it's boots going on other boots and a ball in between and like um and mud on the boots and stuff, it's so um uh it's so um what what's the word but it, it you know fucking it, stupid. Yeah, of course it is. Absolutely <laughs> stupid. That, it's fucking stupid because ultimately it's a sport. You know what I mean? It, it, it's like, um, the, 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 when do you have to turn this into precision engineering? It becomes again, it becomes some ridiculous farce of a of a of a game show. You know, um, it, it's so divorced from what it should be about. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. I have to ask about Eddie Howe though. He's been the manager for nearly twelve months at Newcastle. He hasn't lost many games at all, Gav. He's, he's done really, really well. And was he your first choice last year when Steve Bruce was get, uh, given the boot? And how surprised or unsurprised are you of how well he's done? Yeah, pretty much. I didn't want to get somebody in from, you know, who was taught was like Dentog and people like that, wasn't it? And, and, and huge names from around the world. But ultimately, I think it was the right choice. It was the person that he's from this country i think he would have had an idea growing up as to what newcastle united was about and he had his chance at burnley and it was burnley wasn't it then he went back to bournemouth again yeah. and uh he um i think he had something to prove because i think the media were doing that thing of saying that he was a bit he, he couldn't cut it at a big place and he was a bit um you know i think he is that like you ran away and went back to where he was from and, and I, I think he, he had something to prove and he's he's quietly spoken and he no i think i think he was the best choice and i think it's been proved that actually i'd heard a sort of whisper that it was a bit of a split between the boardroom as to whether they wanted him or they wanted to go down the route of getting somebody with a massive cv from the continent but um i think he's the best choice personally and i think that's been borne out yeah, he's been brilliant, and like like you say, he's softly spoken. But like when you listen to his press conferences, it's 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 genuinely interesting. Not like Steve Bruce's, which was just 
you could you could pretty you, you could pretty much write a, a Steve Bruce press conference before you've heard yeah, it, couldn't yeah. you? Yeah, absolutely. And you just got the impression that you know uh, he's going through the motions where he's, he could never say that about Eddie Howe. He's thought about what the players he wants to buy and the pattern he wants to play, and you just get the impression he's put some he's put a lot of effort into it so far. That's what I think, anyway. Yeah, I mean. Uh, if if I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, Johnny, like you did with me, I'm going to get one back. But um, <laughs> when, when we were when we were speaking about getting you on, Gav, we were talking about um, uh, Bruno, and we were talking about Isak and the potential uh, link-up play that we um, we could see. Hopefully, Bruno's back for the game against West Ham. But just how excited are you to see them two real quality players, not just in a, a black and white shirt, but linking up and, and playing together? It's incredibly exciting. Yeah, it, I hope, I, hopefully it'll be great because I think the one thing that we've got, and it's not Eddie, Eddie Howe's fault really, is we're a bit short as a squad. Uh, once, once we have two or three injured, we're a little bit restricted. We're, 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 we're the equivalent of other teams having five or six down, you know, and that's yeah. that's going to be a bit of a problem in the in the shortish to mediumish term. And there's nothing we can do about that. There's no point in going out and buying five crap players just for the sake of bolstering the squad like in the Nottingham Forest style um we're we're we're, um, we're much better doing what we're doing and I think we're still better doing what we're doing if we go into January and we find one great player perhaps or maybe he's none but if there's one good player that can fit in the system fine and then we go again in the summer and we look again at two more maybe and we shed three players and then we you know then the next window and then the next window January 20 24 we look to get another couple in and then we that's the way you've got to do it you kind of um you know Rome wasn't built in a day was it no certainly not what do you think the aims are for Newcastle this season because a lot of fans especially at the start of the season are saying well can we knock on the door for the top six is it just getting into the top half can Newcastle sneak into Europe should we focus on the cups or what what, what would you accept this season go I would say the fact that we're playing good football and everything. We're playing really good football and we're starting to ruffle feathers at the teams at the top is enough. And I think if we get into the top 10, which is a good psychological thing because obviously that's the top half, that's a good thing. And I know some people will be disappointed if we we are up in, I don't know, sixth or fifth and then we fall away to 10th, say. But I think the top 10 would be a good thing and it, a cup run would be terrific but you know that's a lottery really but i'd say top 10 and then maybe then then if that is the case next season that's when there's perhaps a bit of pressure on how to to maybe step it up i don't know but i'm i'm patient enough i've seen so many years of us not win anything and so many false dawns and so many teams we've had the supporters wanting success yesterday so we don't get it tomorrow that's always been the problem with a lot of Newcastle fans. And it's it's universal as well. It's not just the the posh ones or the Johnny Come Lately's or the or you know the supposed prawn sandwichy type people or, or the you know it's not just that there's that there's there's um the rank and file of it like that as well. Um it's the nature of football supporters, they get very, very impatient. And this is a project that can work over five years there's no point in jumping the gun you know 
Does that concern you a bit about that now we've, we're, you know, mad stinking rich and, and have ambition and are set to challenge the, 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 the top teams? Does it worry you that we're going to maybe attract the, the cucumber sandwich brigade and, and the, the plastic fans, as it were? There's a chance of that, but the good thing about it is, it may sound like a bit of a, a backward thing to say, but the good thing is St James's Park isn't massive. It's finite um, in terms of like what you can achieve in terms of uh, the, the size of the ground. So the good thing is you're not going to get those tourists to the same extent because we've got such a massive season ticket base already, which is mainly people from the area or expats, if you like. And, uh, you know, loads of people, myself included, are going to be always looking for buying tickets as members at any time to go to games so we've not we might not attract that certainly not in the short term or even if the ground increases by you know eight thousand or something if they put the top of the the, the gallagher on i still don't think we'll we'll get those type of support as as of yet we're not and it's not a massive corporate thing i, I was um talking to somebody at the weekend and he's seen a, a, a tottenham's hotspurs new stadium there's some ridiculous prices quoted people are like getting a seat for life for £150,000, but they have to pay £100,000 a year as well to keep renewing it. And, like, well, that's the difference in terms of money down there because it'll be big business, it'll be corporations doing that. But that's the that's the difference between up there, so down there and up here, that the amount of money kicking about, the amount of people working in the city and 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 that is so different to what, what you've got at this part of the country. Um, and... You know, London, as you know, is is a tourist destination, and that's where people go. We don't have that up here, but I think that's quite a good thing, though. Really, don't you? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I think that's what makes Newcastle unique. I know everybody will say their own club's unique for for different reasons, but I, I do I do echo what you say there, Gav, about the, about Newcastle as an area when you compare it to London. But the debate has been all over the summer: should Newcastle United think about in the long term to move away from St James's Park? Should they design their own? 80,000 seat a stadium. I know there's been a couple of different places that have been mentioned in terms of in terms of availability. But what's where's your stance? Do you think that Newcastle should move away from St James's Park in the next few years, or do you think it should just stay where they are and maybe try and increase capacity if they can? No, I don't think you should. I don't think we should move away from St James's Park. I think that would be a massive, massive mistake. And um, you just need to look at what West Ham fans think about leaving Upton Park. I don't think we should go at all. And if we've got so much money, we could adapt it. And it might not become massive. It may just increase the capacity by a little bit more. But I don't think we should move away from St. James's Park. I think that would be a huge, a huge mistake. And not just for sentimental reasons, but I just think the identity of the club would change. And I think part of what makes Newcastle United Newcastle United is the fact that they've got this city centre ground if you like um there's only the only other place i can think of is like that isn't even a football stadium it's the cardiff the, yeah. the um, millennial stadium there that's the only other place i can think of it's anything like that so there's no other football ground like it i think it'll be a huge mistake personally yeah no i agree great drink in town as well cardiff um but it uh <laughs> it absolutely is but no i i agree fully but i suppose if if we're seeing that progression year on year, Gav, like not necessarily just on the pitch, but you can see uh, infrastructure improving and, and relationships repaired with with legends of, of the club. 
then like you said we're, we're patient enough we've been through enough shite over the past 14 years in particular that that we're, we're happy enough aren't we oh too right again it's it's like it's wanting everything yesterday and you don't mm. get it tomorrow because you just it's just you know, you can, you can, she has some supporters now chomping at the bits saying, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? They just calm down, you know? If we have a good season and we, we, we're associated with good football and good players coming and it starts moving in the right direction, that's what you need. You don't need... It's like your own finances. If it starts moving in the right direction, it goes up. That's all good. But if it starts alarmingly going down, that's when you need to worry, you know? 100%, 100%. Um, a question I've asked a few guests over the last few weeks and months is if who's that like the been a favourite player bar Alan Shearer because that's obviously kind of like the the man, isn't he? Is Alan Shearer? So that will be my question to you. Apart from Alan Shearer, who is your favourite Newcastle United player that you've seen at St James's Park? That I've ever seen. Um, yeah. uh, the, the best player I've ever seen is Peter Beardsley, I think. I don't think there's anybody better than that. Yeah. No. In terms of maybe Ginola, I don't know. But Beardsley's the best. I'm too young for Tony Green. A lot of the old blokes see Tony Green, but didn't see him play, unfortunately. No. Beardsley. I mean, he, he, he was terrific. He um I saw him in both spells, his first and second spell, and um he was unique. Um uh terrific at dribbling but he had this thing where I'm sure people have bored you with this before where a fullback would have the ball and he'd, he'd go and like tackle the fullback in that he'd get his foot and he'd sort of fish the ball out from the fullback's feet and get the ball off him I've never seen anything like it I've been told again by some old fuckers that um, Jackie Milburn used to do that so I'd, I'm just making that up I've never seen anything <laughs> like um, fish the ball out from people and, and the just the the things he would do, what of that from that school of like, well, you know, like Messi's a great dribbler and all that, and, and Ronaldo's a terrific player. Um, but he had that, that tricks that you wouldn't expect, you know, and a la Maradona, where it was all very like uh, he, he did things that you hadn't seen before. And when you look at old clips of Georgie Best again, which is before my team. The the amazing thing about Georgie Best is like I don't think that was so unusual at the time. People didn't do that. Like he come from another planet, and and, and Beardsley was a bit like that to an extent. Gascoigne was as well as a midfield player. He would do um, wild things as well. But um, whenever I got his best years at Newcastle, he was gone by the time he was about twenty or twenty-one, I think. But um, uh, Beardsley was outrageously good. You know, he was terrific footballer. Yeah, absolute quality. Chris Waddle was terrific as well. He really was. He was. He was. Amazing that he was slightly different to Beardsley in the fact that he was more, he dropped his shoulder more. He was more about the movement, I suppose, Ryan Giggs like that. He had that thing of where he, he could dummy it so well and he could he could make people go the other way. Beardsley could do that as well, but Beardsley had a wonderful feat. But Waddle um, could sell people dummies and things by just a quick movement of the hips or the shoulder. And uh, another amazing, amazing off the cuff type. Jazz tape player, you know. I suppose Ben Arthur was a little bit like that, wasn't he? As well, he had something mm. like that. Of that, of that ilk, yeah. yeah, and then Ben Arthur could fire it in at hundred mile an hour as well. He had one elephant yeah. peg on him. Yeah, he but did. Yeah, he's special. Yeah. 
he was just didn't do it often enough. But um, Gav, you've got a big show coming up um, in in the northeast soon, and I want to plug it. So, um, can you tell us uh, where you play in, when it is, how do we get tickets? Um, it is my show at the Tyne Theatre on the 11th of November. It's called Pontification on Tyne. And you can just go to the Tyne Theatre um, website, which will be something like tynetheatre.co.uk or something like that. And you can just go on there. And... That's a great guess. <laughs> I would have thought anyway. I don't think there's two Tyne Theatres, is there? Maybe There may be one in Australia. I'm sure they're probably, you know, Newcastle, Australia, probably got their own Tyne Theatre or something. But no, the one on the one on Westgate Road in Newcastle. Um, you just need to take my name in there, and you'll find it. Fantastic stuff, Gav. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Green oh, and Show today. Talking about talking about all the good the good times and hopefully some good times to come. But it's been some really really interesting chats. About we've got the stage and expansion debate. Your favourite player was as well. It's been really really fascinating. And, and again, like Sam says, make sure you get tickets the eleventh of November on Westgate Road again, Gav. Will be performing there. Pontification on time. Is that what you, was that was? Is that the correct called, time, yeah, so. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Gavin, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on. I hope you enjoyed it. I have done, lads. Thank you very much. Keep up with the good work. Thank you very much. Sam, I can everyone listen to this podcast. So if you're watching it on YouTube, well done. You found it. Uh, why not try the audio podcast? The link is in the description and the shows are released every Tuesday. Fantastic stuff. So for myself, Jonathan Green and Simon Warner and our guest, Gav Webster, we'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the Northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191213 0399 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk.